value being right and knowing. And creativity is about not knowing and about not needing to be right. In fact, I when I teach doodling to, to teams and executives, I actually pass out little stickers that say, dare to suck. There's a drop of inspiration, a dash of creativity, plenty of communication, and there you have it, our executive elixir. This is Drink from the Well. Welcome, lovely leaders, to Drink from the Well. I'm your sorceress of strategy, Tina Dietz. Companies often fail to thrive because they don't keep up with an ever-changing marketplace. Fostering a workplace culture where creativity thrives not only prevents stagnation and encourages innovation, but also unlocks high productivity and workplace satisfaction. Today's episode also includes powerful visuals, so make sure you visit drinkfromthewellpodcast.com so you can soak those in along with all the links to resources mentioned today. And now, to the data. A survey by IBM of more than 1,500 chief executive officers showed a consensus. Creativity was ranked as the number one factor for future business success, above management discipline, integrity, and even vision. One reason for this highest of rankings is that creative leaders are more comfortable with ambiguity. And I think one thing we can all agree on is that we're living in times where being comfortable with ambiguity is a huge advantage. And as industries continue to evolve, business goals and priorities are changing with increased speed. Eight in 10 of those surveyed CEOs said they expect their industry to become significantly more complex. But fewer than half of those same 1,500 CEOs are confident their organizations are equipped to deal with the transformation. Today on the show, we're exploring the benefits and challenges of cultivating a culture of creativity in the workplace, along with sharing some wonderful ways of exploring and unlocking your own creativity on this wild adventure we call leadership. I am very happy today to be sharing with you two of my wonderful colleagues who swim every day in the waters of creativity. And I've had the pleasure of working closely with both of our guests on different projects. Dr. Manette Riordan is an award-winning entrepreneur and creativity advocate. She is the creator of the Emerge Method, a process of helping others map their purpose. Dr. Riordan is the author of three books, including her bestseller, The Artful Marketer. With her mantra of, how hard could it be? Dr. Manette believes when we're all working inside our creative genius, we can solve all the world's problems. I think I agree. Catherine Torini is a creativity expert, visual strategist, and innovation catalyst who has brought her visual magic to the likes of NASA, Dell, Coca-Cola, Chevron, AT&T, and Southwest Airlines. She makes the invisible visible during meetings and events through graphic recording, drawing real-time mural-sized infographics that mesmerize viewers, activate creative problem-solving, and unlock the wisdom of the room. And I can say personally, I have been subject to that visual magic. So welcome today to both of you to Drink from the Well. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. I wouldn't have missed it. (laughs) 
In the heart of the Adirondack Mountains of New York, there is a sanctuary for your soul called Asa Adirondack, a place of rustic elegance where you have the freedom to create your perfect escape, an R&R adventure, an event for your team, or a bespoke executive retreat designed exclusively for you. I know how incredible Asa Adirondack is because it's where I go to relax and heal my body, soul, and psyche through gentle adventure and play in nature. Asa Adirondack is an easy drive from New York City, Boston, or Montreal. Begin the adventure of coming home to yourself. Visit asaadirondack.com and mention Drink from the Well for the extra VIP treatment. That's asaadirondack.com, the sanctuary for your soul. Today, we're talking about creativity. And of course, you know, everyone can tell from your introductions why you're here today. And so the first topic that I wanted to bring to our table today is, you know, why why is creativity even important in the workplace? I mentioned some things earlier in the episode with some data and with some assertions that creativity is important for several reasons, but I'd really need to hear from you. Catherine, let's, let's start with you today. Why is creativity even important in the workplace? you think? Well, what I like to say is that creativity is the core. It's part of who we are as humans, and it's part of our ability to invent our future. And the heart of innovation is creativity. They're not exactly the same thing, and it's important to know the difference. But they are, you, you can't get to innovation unless you're thinking creatively. And the reason you need a culture of creativity is because there's a few ticks and tricks to make creativity actually work and flow that are a bit contrary to how we run our regular, normal adult business lives. And Manette, how would you like to um, bounce off of what Catherine is saying? So I love what Catherine said, and I would add to that that creativity is vital right now in our just rapidly, radically changing environment of technology, the thing that always sets humans apart is our creativity and our innate ability to problem solve, but also because creativity makes life more fun. And I think inside the workplace, what's missing is some are some of the elements of play and fun that give people permission to fully be themselves and express their creative ideas. Yeah, let's dig down a little further into the idea of innovation and creativity. Catherine, you said that it's important to know the difference between the two, even though they're tied together. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. I would say I was just looking outside this morning at my um, beautiful oak tree in the backyard, which has recently dumped all its leaves and all its pollen, you know, tons and bags and bags. And only one or two of the acorns that come from all that will become trees. And I would say that innovation is like that acorn. It is the creativity that ends up being useful and implementable, if you will. And creativity is the leaves and the pollen and the acorns. So you can't get to those few really innovative ideas if you don't have a place where you have lots and lots of creativity. So the innovation, as I would say, is applied creativity. I'd love to hear Minette's take on that as well. No, I completely agree with that definition. And I love the analogy of the oak tree, but please don't mention pollen. I'm like in the middle of like (laughs) pine trees that are about to burst into pollen right now. Um, But no, I, I love that analogy. And I think it's the, there's a lot of creativity that is imaginative, playful, and fun. It's not all useful. 
And yet we have to be sort of in that culture of getting used to just sharing the ideas, whether they're going to go anywhere or not. And then innovation is the the piece for me that helps us decide, is it implementable? And can there be an action plan built around it? But we put way too much emphasis on innovation first and not enough on creativity, which I think is a different way of saying maybe what Catherine was saying, that we have to just really nurture the culture of ideation first, because the more ideas, the more radical solutions we can create. Absolutely. And I want to just underline something that you said that the fun and the joy might not be quote unquote useful. So it's not useful necessarily in like a product, but it's very useful right, in or the, the culture bottom line. and the people and the, and the, and the person's experience. Yes. And I know you know that. I just wanted to underline that for listeners because- No, I think it's super, super important that you brought that up. Yeah. There's often this sense of what has to happen in a company is you have to hit the bullseye on the first try. And good ideas just don't work that way. So let's create a little contrast. If you're in a company and it's clear that it's not a culture of creativity, you know, what are the pitfalls? What are the what what are our red flags when creativity isn't present? I love this topic. So I think what happens is people stop valuing their own creativity. They hold on to their ideas. They're afraid to voice them out loud for fear of judgment, or it creates this incredible amount of stress that they have to get the bullseye the first time out of the gate. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit in our pre-conversation about this idea of having interdepartmental conversations. And so I think because a lot of times creativity gets sort of buried in the creative of department that we're losing out on the creative thinking abilities of people across departments in a particular company. So for me, the pitfall is we're missing out on the genius of all the people in the company that could be contributing to that ultimate bottom line that the stakeholders and shareholders care about. You know, the research that we did prior to this episode is pretty conclusive that improving innovation, ideation, creating fun culture, as as you said, which results in more productivity, which results in more retention. And, you know, we all know that talent retention and talent development in companies is a huge issue right now. Uh, We found correlations along confidence that, uh, and that innovation, of course, which is tied to creativity is certainly tied to the bottom line and tied to profit. So why would we even hesitate in the workplace to explore creativity. You you both touched on a few things where people say have those kind of self-limiting beliefs, but in a workplace culture, why do you think that people hesitate in exploring creativity? Well, we value being right and knowing, and creativity is about not knowing and about not needing to be right. In fact, I when I teach doodling to to teams and executives, I actually pass out little stickers that say, dare to suck. I spend as much time debunking that they can't draw, they can't doodle, as I do teaching them to doodle, because that's the biggest roadblock, I would say. And I would say what's underneath our need to be right is fear. Fear of judgment is one part of it. You know, fear of looking silly or less than in front of our teammates. But I have also heard from a lot of women doing research on women in leadership, fear of having ideas stolen is one that I have heard come up in the in the research over and over again and have had, you know, colleagues share examples of that happening that and so they hold on me really tightly to their ideas. Absolutely. 
I've heard that from many, many leaders uh, over the past, both as a as a coach and in podcasting in, in vocal leadership, that there is that issue, and I've certainly experienced it myself, of translation. What you see in your head is so full and rich, and then being able to actually communicate that when you may not have the artistic skill to draw it or be able to do it in some sort of digital format, but then it does come back down to writing and visual and communications. And if we don't have to hit it on the first time, if we don't have to be perfect the first time out and we allow space for that creative iterative process, multiple iterations are required to kind of get down to when we get to the kind of that product point or even to a decision-making point. It's so important to allow the room for that. I was recently listening to the audiobook version of a little book I didn't even know existed that John Cleese from Monty Python wrote called Creativity, A Brief and Cheerful Guide. And he cited some interesting research from the 60s on creativity. There was tons of research done in the 60s and 70s on creativity, and then it got shelved for a very long time. But they did some research uh, out of Berkeley on, I believe it was architects and what constituted a creative architect or a non-creative architect. And one of the biggest factors in these architects who were considered in their industry highly creative was that they delayed having to make a decision for as long as they could. Not that they were procrastinating, but there had been a determination of, okay, we need to make a decision on this particular, whatever it was in the project at this time. And they didn't make a decision before that. They waited the entire time and then made a decision when they had to. So they had the maximum amount of time for that idle thinking for creative iteration, for the processing time, for new information to present itself. And that generally ended up with a better quality idea at the end of the day or a better quality product. And I just find that really fascinating that we live in this culture where we often have a better product if we allow the time to wait, but there's such a time push uh, for doing that. So do you have any thoughts on how we can start to shift cultures in the workplace to allow for a little bit more creative thinking or that idle thinking time? Hmm. My, a couple of thoughts. One is that is scheduling spontaneity, if you will, not because you're you know, like, okay, now we're here at nine o'clock and we have to be spontaneous because you're actually creating, putting aside time. You're putting it on your calendar. You're making it, you're making it a priority and as important as the, as the other things. And um, the other thought is this, we often treat creativity in a transactional way. Like, I'm going to be creative. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do this thing. And I like to think of it more as a relationship. I, I joke that if you if you had a relationship with your sweetie or a, with a best friend, and all you ever did was like clean the garage or like go out to a fancy dinner, like you're always like on it producing, you know, you're always, um, you wouldn't have a very great relationship. So I really, for me, a culture of creativity is, is a culture where you have a relationship with your creativity that sometimes turns into fabulous, innovative ideas and sometimes turns into a great product idea or a great way to implement service. But it's, it isn't only transactional. And I think we have to give people permission in the workplace to have creative ideation time, right? To be in that idle thinking, daydreaming, feet up on the desk, go for a 20 minute walk when you're feeling stuck. And so I think there has to be a culture that allows for that time so that because people get so guilty, I even hear 
retired people say, when I'm not doing something, I'm not being productive. And if I'm not productive, I don't have value. And so idle time is often seen as lack of productivity when it's the opposite. And our best ideas come actually from deep rest and deep play, not from work. And so making sure that we're scheduling that time. And then I 100% agree with the scheduling, the spontaneity or scheduling creative work time. Because what happens is our brains start processing before we ever sit down. And I think it was, I can't remember, it might have been Hemingway, but there was one writer who said at the end of every one of his writing sessions, he always left a sentence unfinished because he could come back the next time and just pick up the pen and continue the story from that place. But if we come to a stopping place at the end of the sentence, then it feels done. And instead, that open-ended opportunity for creative thinking continues way outside the page. So I think learning, and I love how you described it, Catherine, as a relationship with our creativity, feels right on and understanding that when we're washing dishes and taking showers, this is all creative time. Well, then let's take a look at how can leaders, because leaders, you know, we're the ones that are really modeling for our team we're the ones who can really help embody the value of creativity to our own creativity in the workplace as, as we're leading. How can we start to ease into that more as leaders? Uh, what are some things we can do to model or embody to cultivate creativity in the workplace by our own Taking example? time off, which leaders tend, including me, have a hard time doing, but actually scheduling an afternoon out of the office for creative time. Uh, a company that my husband and I have done a lot of work with over the last few years, Entreport. I love the CFO says she has to kick the CEO out. She's like, you get your best ideas when you're away from the office. Wednesday, I'm canceling everything on the books. Go away, right? And so I think encouraging a culture of spaciousness instead of the overemphasis on productivity, what I hear from most people in corporate is their jobs are just so dense and there's so much to do that the thought of taking an afternoon off is just completely daunting and not necessarily supported by leadership. Yeah. Whoever heard of somebody saying, I got the best set of ideas at my desk. Not me. Right. It's always in your shower. It's in your car. You're at the park. You're over coffee. It's in, in a conversation that that's that kind of back end mental thinking where things are running on a subconscious level or semi-conscious level. And then all of a sudden, bam, there it is. Or you go to sleep at night and you've been wrestling with a problem. And in the morning, you look at it with fresh eyes. And all of a sudden, it's as though your brain's been working on it all night, which it has. And then there, there it is in front of you. You can continue on. Uh, Catherine, what are some other ways that you see that we can model or embody this cultivating our own creativity at the workplace so that our teams can benefit? I completely agree with what Manette said about taking time off and doing it during, like, it's not taking time off. You're actually on. And I have something that I call a creative offsite. Um, and, or I, it's a studio week is what I, is what I call it. And it's, I realized later when I was reading a book about it, that, or a book about, um, productivity, actually, that it's a, a sprint. It's a creative sprint. So I actually, and it was, I was a little scared the first time that I, or a little nervous the first time I put my out of office. And I said, I'm out of the office in the studio this week, working on internal, I'm working on this project. So I 
marked off and kind of publicized, I guess, because I put it in my out of office that, that I was focusing, I wasn't off having a vacation, which is also very important. I was focusing on a creative project and I gave myself a whole week to kind of build up to it, get ideas, get, and then do the, and then you four and five, you're in the like, okay, we're like doing the thing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm creating the actual final, um, the final pieces. And that's a fantastic way. I want to also talk about something that I call Friday, my day, which I know not everyone can do, but if you manage your own schedule, I've actually realized that if I didn't have a day for me as a creative and as a content producer to do whatever, whatever wanted to happen, you know, oftentimes it's classic. I'll take Friday off and then I'll go for a hike and I'll be, I'll just be, you know, writing blog posts on my phone. I'll be, you know, dictating, like I get super creatively activated. And so, um, I just started making it official and calling it Friday, my day. I either I'm creative and, and, and create content or I rest so that, um, Saturday or Sunday or Monday, I'm, I'm creative. I, I hate having to choose between creating content, like maybe I'm writing a course or, or a blog post or, or, or whatever it is, and hanging out with my family and taking care of my own self. You actually need to take your personal self-care for who you are as a creative, and you need creative time. And that's, that's how I've kind of built, built it into the week. Yeah, Catherine, I've heard you say before, creativity shouldn't just be for dessert. It's part of a balanced diet. <laughs> Did I say that? That's you an awesome that. quote. That is an yeah. awesome quote. <laughs> Minette, you have some really good tips on being with our teams and some ways to bring our creativity as leaders that, you know, ways, things we can do to model with our team specifically, not just out of the office. Tell us some of those. Yeah. So, you know, as I was listening to you and Catherine, one of the things that came up in my mind was share your hobbies right? I think we often also don't necessarily talk about what we do outside of the work, but maybe take everybody to a paint and sip once in a while to get out. And because no one necessarily does a great job there, then everybody gets to be in that beginner's mind together. But in sort of the management and being with teams, the most important thing is to create a, a culture of safety and openness around honoring the ideas. And one of my favorite approaches to that is to play the what if game. And in fact, when anyone shares an idea, if you just put those two words, what if we or what if you, or what if I in front of it, it takes all the should energy or must energy out of it, which triggers all of our inner rebel anyway. But so playing the what if game with everybody, and there's no feedback given on the ideas, there's only input of ideas. Whether you bring in someone like Catherine to capture all that, which is genius, or whether people are writing on sticky notes or whiteboards and sticking them on the wall. I also always recommend as much as possible making that process visual. So I love the idea of bringing in someone like Catherine to help that because not everyone is an articulate thinker from thought to word. And in fact, our very first language was through imagery. We started to recognize visual signs, our mother's faces and through um, smell. And as Catherine said, then through drawing before we ever get to writing. So words aren't our first language, images are. And so the more visual we can make these processes, the sillier it becomes. So think Pictionary for teams. And again, it's taking that pressure out of it needing to be a rigorous scientific process to get the best possible idea. So play, it all comes back to that, that idea of just deep play. Game night is kind of like, it's not just for families, we, you know, we should have it in our teams as well to, to free that up and be able to enjoy each other in the workplace, not just work together. One of the things I've always valued, even though I've always run a remote team at, from all over the place is we will 
uh, and many of us are have a background in voice acting, being an audio-based company. And a lot of times in team meetings, we'll end up having an entire or part of a team meeting doing different character voices. And it's absolutely ridiculous and it happens fairly organically or we'll end up in a pun war uh, talking about something in a team meeting. And I'm always grateful to my team for being willing to play and kind of jump into that to that space. And the interesting thing is, is almost inevitably when that happens at the end of the conversation, someone will pop up with something that's like, hey, I just realized something or hey, I just thought of this. And that little bit of play will stir something creatively in the team that moves the needle on something what would have been completely unrelated. And, I, and in the research we did, we saw this kind of reflected over and over again that this, this space needs to happen. So we're all born creative. We're all born with imagination. And as we get older, that can get shut down a little bit. So when you are working with people, with teams, with leaders, how do you help people reconnect to their creativity. Uh, Catherine, let's start with you. Well, I one of the key things to do is to first name the fear. You have to actually be in what we call right relationship with your inner critic because we all have them. And that's a huge, that's the elephant in the room, if you will, or the saber-toothed tiger in the room, if you will. I like to say that we our inner critics were are there to keep us safe and they're bored because we don't really have um, physical safety um, issues now, generally speaking, as, as as adults in the working world. And sometimes I'll have folks do what I call it to reduce the pressure and increase that feeling of psychological safety. We'll actually do a saber-toothed tiger check. We'll ask them to, you know, have fun with it and look around the room. Are there any saber-toothed tigers? No. Are you sure? Okay. If there are, by all means run. But if there aren't, then we can relax into this moment and um, play a little bit. So naming and demystifying the inner critic and showing that everyone has one and that it's going to come up during creative processes and like it's part of the process and you can just move past it pretty quickly rather than stay stuck there. That's, I think, one of the key things. That's, yeah, that's one of the things that when we talk about cultures of creativity, everyone's like, okay, great. And then there's like these things come up. And so we have to be prepared to do that. Yeah, I love that. So I would take it even one step further and ask them to personify their inner critic and have them draw a picture of what their inner critic looks like. And I remember leading a workshop in this one woman, her inner critic was this little sapo, a frog, and um, she's Hispanic. And I can't remember the frog's name, but it had a Hispanic sounding name. And it was just freaking hilarious, right? But when we can personify, again, it's that that visual representation, we can have a conversation with it, we can create a different dialogue, we can take it and turn it upside down on the desk or send it out for a cup of tea or a glass of wine. So I think personification would be the next thing. But I also love to get them to see all the ways they're already being creative that they hadn't thought of. So to make a list of the things that they enjoy doing, cooking, gardening, dancing, all the ways they're already in that just sort of atmosphere of creative problem solving and imaginative thinking outside of the workspace. There's so much noise in the world. How do you get your voice and message about your business or company to the people who need you? Twin Flame Studios can help with our podcasting solutions that are designed to bring the people you're looking for right to your website so you can make a difference in a bigger way. Visit us at twinflamesstudios.com. And now, back to the episode. One of the exercises that you do with 
your clients and also online, Catherine, I've seen you do is this lovely idea of tiny creative acts and this little tiny things that you can do in short periods of time to help us get those creative juices flowing. So I would love to right now have a little playtime with the two of you and just do a little live brainstorm of potential tiny creative acts. And then we'll make sure all these little ideas are there for our listeners in the show notes on our website. Um, and also, we'll have some visuals of some of both of your work so we can get a feel. I mentioned in the top of the episode, we have some powerful visuals in our episode today. So it's going to be extra important that listeners go back to the website so they can get these tiny creative acts, get inspired, and also get inspired by some of the visuals that are going to be there from the two of you. So are you ready to do a little bit of brainstorming together? Oh, yeah. Okay. So brainstorming rules apply, which are basically the wilder, the better. If you repeat somebody's uh, answer more than once or you piggyback on it, that's wonderful. Iteration is great. Um, there are no wrong answers. And we're just going to take a very quick, like 90 seconds to do this so that it is a little bit more uh, just compressed for time. So we have that energy in there. All right. Ready? And go. Say a, a double doodle. You can explain it. The, there's a the doodle game where you just do a, a scribble and then you turn it into a bird by adding a beak and feet. So soul scribbles where you just draw on a page and then you imagine what you can see in that. So not, it takes 30 seconds and it's super fun. Uh, take a line for a walk where you imagine that the page that you're looking at is like a Google map of a neighborhood and you take the the, the line for a walk around the neighborhood as if it were I a dog. that one. Mindful color play, like draw a picture of colors having a party on a page or your socks going to a party, like just anything where you're putting color on the page. Yeah, I know. One of my favorites is to grab some of my kids' stuffed animals and give them my internal voices, uh, external voices with their stuffed animals and have them talk to each other or even do it with other people just to create a little Ooh, story. I want to do that one. I love it. And to piggyback on that, I um, have people make uh, pu paper bag puppets of their inner critic. And then they have them talk in that funny voice that they have, whatever it is. And that is, um, and then you can crumple it up and throw it across the room or stick it in a drawer. <laughs> Throw on the trunk. Yeah, I love that. Um, index card art, like really practicing creative constraints and limiting the size. So little scribbles and doodles on index cards. But I saw some things on um, Catherine's website that I really loved that I also do. And it's take the practice outside. So one of my favorite creative practices, it's a tiny act, is making mandalas in nature. So just especially on the beach, gathering seaweed, rocks, sticks, anything like that, and creating a mandala out in nature is really fun for me. What I love about, I'm going to build on that, like mandala, the beauty of a mandala is that when you make one decision, does it like, then you just, then you just repeat it all the way around. So it's, so it, it ends up looking really cool, but you don't have to know where you're going. And one little decision makes all the decisions for you. So um, another creative act is to, whenever I find fallen flower petals or leaves, or even done this with dirt, is you just play with it and turn it into something. I often will do hearts or something something else or a smile and and then you photograph it and leave it wherever it is like the idea that it's ephemeral and it'll be washed away or um, maybe someone will come and eat it maybe some animal will come and eat it if you put berries in a in a particular line to really get away from the idea of product and just be in that joyful playful childlike relationship with yeah, your and building on that sidewalk chalk is your best friend like yeah. grab your kids sidewalk chalk and go out and leave love notes on your front sidewalk for your neighbors draw hearts or silly pictures so sidewalk chalk outside is super fun 
quick ones also are dance breaks, just a, yes. a little bit of music and dancing around or maybe even allowing yourself to feel like you're embodying an animal or a character or a rock star of some kind and take two minutes and just, you know, allow yourself to pretend maybe like you did when you were a little kid that you were either a superhero or a rock star or something like that and, and dance to One of the, the most fun things I saw during the pandemic was a neighbor put a big chalkboard out in front of his house and every day he had a new dad joke on the chalkboard. I would walk out of my way around my neighborhood to see dad jokes. So what if in the workplace, there was some place where people just got to tell silly jokes that was we walk by and it's written on a whiteboard somewhere. So dad jokes are awesome. It was like his own church. It sign. totally was. It was brilliant. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that so much. All right, great. So this is, I think it's only scratching uh, the surface of what's possible on Tiny Creative Acts. We will put all of these together in a list. And if you are uh, following us on social media, we're also going to be posting about these tiny creative acts and, and inviting you uh, to add on your own tiny creative acts, uh, things to do. Creativity thrives in community and it thrives in communication. And it, it, I think it's so interesting that both of you touched on some other themes from some of our other episodes. Psychological safety was one. Um, that was one of our first two episodes, psychological safety and on sharing your hobbies and bringing your whole self to work and how hobbies actually can transform and influence leadership. So it's always so interesting to me how as we're exploring these different aspects of leadership and workplace culture and communication, how everything connects the dots together. And I appreciate both of you being here today. Let's finish up with just some creativity resources that you might recommend. We'll certainly recommend both of your websites and social media links, which we'll of course be including. But what about books, workshops, or conferences that you might recommend? Well, that's Annette? a big one. I'm super excited to be speaking this year for the first time at the SIPSI, the Creative Problem Solving Institute Conference, which uh, to be steeped for a week, not even excited about my presentation, but about being around all the people in the creative problem solving industry. So SIPSI is a great one for people to consider. Florida also has a big creativity conference annually that's um, just a very sort of almost unconference open format model. I haven't been to that one, but I've heard it's super imaginative and playful. So those are two conferences off the top of my head. And my list of books is like way too long to even get started, probably like Catherine's. What I would, where I would point folks is this is, this is a, the work for the a leader or for individuals in the leader, although she does have a, the artist way at work. The artist way was foundational to my recovering and discovering my creative self as an adult. And I've always identified as an artist. So that it was, it's great. It's, it's really, it's powerful work. I've, I've done it many times. I've taught it and I highly recommend it. It's, um, and in fact, the creativity work. So my creativity courses are inspired by, um, some of the structures that she has in, in her course. It's and that's Julia Cameron, right? Mm -hmm. Julia Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Julia Cameron, right. Well, we will include uh, some of these as well as some additional links to other um, books, associations, conferences, and articles on our website at drinkfromthewellpodcast.com. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Manette and Catherine, for this conversation on creativity. And uh, thank you for being out in the world uh, with your full heart and being these expert, vulnerable um leaders who create such lovely spaces for people to step into to create more creativity and results in the workplace as well as in their own lives.
please share this episode with another leader and follow us on your favorite podcast app. Then journey over to drinkfromthewellpodcast.com for transcripts, show notes, and all the wisdom in today's episode. We're always here to refresh, inspire, and entertain you anytime you need a drink from the well. Drink from the Well is an original production of Twin Flame Studios and our magical team, including Elena Carley, Derek Blackburn, Nadia Cox, Stephen George, and me, Tina Dietz. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.